Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Um, if you, I see a lot of visitors today, and uh, let me just first say I'm sorry <laughs> that, you're, that you're here today. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about money, more than prayer, more than faith. Um, and so it would be, you know, spiritual malpractice of us not to talk about it. I said last week we wanted to be practical. And, uh, and that means I'm gonna give you, if you're willing, some assignments, some challenges. So here's the first assignment. Let's just jump right into it. I'm gonna challenge you with this. I can't do this for you. You, you gotta do this yourself. Um, could this month be a month-long assignment? It has to be a month at least to get sort of accurate numbers. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to spy this next month. I want you to act like a private investigator, and I want you to spy on your money, okay? I want you to watch it like a hawk, and I want you to see where it goes, and I want you to take notes, a detailed record of where all your money goes this month. Where are you going, money? And, and now, Jonathan, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, this is actually a very spiritual decision. It's a wise decision because as we're gonna discover, it's not your money. <laughs> it's God's. You are managing something that doesn't belong to you. And, and so when you manage somebody else's wealth, you better know where it goes. Like if I sat down with a financial planner and I said, hey, where's all my investments? And she said, well, I don't want to be obsessive about that sort of thing. You know, I don't want to micromanage your money. You know, I'm not like super organized and uh, I, don't, I don't keep track of everything. But it seems like, seems like I should get a new financial manager is what it seems like. Uh, they have been tasked to know where your money is going and make wise stewardship decisions. It's not their money after all. And guess what? As a follower of Jesus, this money that you think is yours ain't really yours. You're managing it. You're stewarding it on behalf of the one who blessed you with it anyway. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spy on our money for a month. If you, if you like sort of the pen and paper thing, you can get a ledger pad. There's all kinds of free apps and, and, and computer programs that just simply track your money. But here's what's important. You gotta account not just for the rent and the car payment and the insurance, but for every red cent, okay? Seven bucks at Starbucks, uh, $1.75 at Timmy's, uh, a McRib at McDonald's. Aren't you glad the McRib is back? Oh, mm. and, and we wanna keep track of where that money is going. It includes what's on your credit card, and they'll give you a nice little statement every month, but don't say, you know, I paid $500 to Visa. No, you gotta break 
each of that down. Where did that $500 go? Toll on the 407, new shoes, Amazon Prime. I want you to be ruthless in, in accounting for every penny. Now, here's the first thing that little challenge will do. And this isn't even the best thing. This is the first thing. It will be a wake-up call in some area of your life, one or another. When you see how much those Starbucks add up, when you see how many times you used Uber Eats, uh, when you see how many streaming subscriptions you're paying for a month, and it's obviously better if you can do this longer than a month because you start to see patterns, but something will shock you and challenge you You thought you were living frugally, and then you'll see something when it's accumulated together that is shocking. Now, does that mean Vicky and I never have an argument about money? No, but we have less and less arguments because if you take away a lot of the reasons for arguing about money when there's no question about where it went, and maybe if it even becomes a a habit and you're tempted to keep secrets about what you've spent from your significant other, then uh, knowing that there's an accounting for every penny might cause you to say, well, maybe this secret doesn't need to be spent right now. Anyways, I'm asking you to do this because you're managing not your money, but God's money. And listen, if you're a high school student or you're at college, I cannot tell you how, how valuable it is to begin this exercise. And you're like, I don't even have money. It's like I'm using my parents' money. This is the time to start, especially if you're in college, because when you're in college, every once in a while, you want your parents to give you more money, right? Let me tell you a secret. You start keeping a detailed account of where your money goes, and the next time you need money, you come home, you say, "Uh, Mom and Dad, let me just show you something, if you'll turn to page three in my uh, presentation. Here's, okay, here's where I've spent every dollar, and here's the money that you loaned me, and uh, I, I need more money. And it will be worth it just for the look on their face, first of all. If you have kept such good detail of where your money has gone, how much easier is it gonna be to Ask them for more money. The reason they resist is because you can't tell them what you did with the money they already gave you. So, Jonathan, though, I'm in college. I don't, you know, it's not even my money. Correct. Yes, you're getting it. The point I'm trying to make today, it will never be your money, ever. And have you noticed um, at a funeral how all the caskets are pretty much around the same size, just sort of big enough for a body. It can't fit all the stuff you've bought in your life. It's not yours anyways. Now, let me say this. There's gonna be no bait and switch at the end of this series, okay? There's no capital campaign. There's no special offering. Okay, ushers, lock the doors until we you know, pass the plates. No, I, I say this sincerely. I don't want anything from you. As your pastor, I want something for you. And you know what I want for you? I want you to experience the freedom of surrendering this area of your life to your good, good heavenly father. And it may not even immediately put you in in the black financially, 
but you will start to live free. And I want that for you. Scripture's really clear that the, the objective of managing money is to honor God. And we don't honor God with a percentage or an amount. We honor God with all of it. And, and so you might start to even ask sincere questions as you make this shift, like, how do I honor God with my house? How do I honor God with my stuff, my car, my, my extra car, my extra house? How do I honor God with my income? How do I honor God with my savings? You begin to ask of every purchase, how might this honor God? This sounds like a restricting thing. It's actually a very liberating thing. Um, that's the reason you manage God's wealth, to figure out how do I honor God in this? And then one day, your life ends and somebody else gets your stuff and they have to figure out how to honor God with it. And so we're accounting for every red cent, but let's go a little deeper and talk about what might be driving some of these purchases, especially some of the bad purchases in particular. Because the thing that drove you into a lease that you wish you could get out of, drove you into a house that's more house than you need, drove you to buy things that you're now saying, I don't even know where it is, and I still owe money on it. Uh, I think if we can get our head around this idea, it will make a huge difference. And, and, and it comes down to one word, discontentment. How's this for a definition? Discontentment, the dissatisfaction I have with what I have. And, and the word I would like to pair with discontentment is the word awareness. If we could understand the relationship between our discontentment and our awareness, it could really be a game changer. You were happy with your house that you lived in until you visited your neighbors. And then you're like, I didn't know there were ceilings that high. And I, I didn't know they even made kitchens to look that nice. And then you went home and you felt like your you know, 10 foot ceilings were you know, crowding in on you and your crown molding looked pathetic and your kitchen was ridiculous and what you had been perfectly happy with five minutes ago, you're suddenly discontent with. Why? Because you have become aware of what you didn't have. Now, with all that in mind, I just want you to look at a fascinating passage of scripture that addresses this issue of contentment. We read some of it last week, but I realized the larger context is even more illuminating. It's 1 Timothy chapter six, and uh, maybe you have your Bible or your phone app. We're gonna begin in uh, verse six. 1 Timothy is a letter written to a young man by the apostle Paul, and in this letter, he addresses the issue of wealth and wealthy people and people who want to be wealthy. And in the context of that discussion, he addresses the issue of, of contentment. Verse six, he says, but godliness with contentment, there's our word, is great gain. So great gain is not, you know, I got rid of all my 1080p TVs and replaced them with 4K TVs. Paul's gonna redefine what great gain is. Great gain in this life is godliness, which means surrendering your life to God and becoming what God wants. It's, it's, I'm fine with what I have because I'm content in God. 
and because if great gain means enriching yourself, if great gain is only about stuff, that means when we die, we've really gained nothing. When we die and leave it all here, that means we had no gain because we didn't send anything on ahead. Uh, we didn't do anything of real value, eternal value. Treasure that Jesus says can't be stolen and doesn't wear out. Verse seven, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. The reason a great gain has more to do with our relationship with God and your contentment with what you have is because you're gonna leave everything here anyways. Uh, Verse eight, here's a challenge. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, if you're eating and living indoors, you know what? You can be content with that. So Paul says, you know what I've learned? I've learned that as long as I'm cool with God and I have a clear conscience with God and as long as I'm doing the best I can to do God's will in my life, if I have that and I've got enough food and something to wear, I'm good. I'm good. I'm way more content than people who have tons more stuff. That's a pretty profound thought, isn't it? You should read the Bible sometimes. It's good stuff in there. Verse nine, those who want to get rich, or literally translated live richly, he says fall into temptation and a trap. Now this isn't like it might happen. This is, it, it will happen. Everybody here with a credit card balance you can't pay, you fell into a trap at some point. You wanted to live richer. He goes on, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Discontentment is dangerous. It allows our appetite to drive us, and that's a trap. It's dangerous if you're poor. It's dangerous if you're lower middle class, if you're upper middle class, if you're stinking filthy rich. It's dangerous because the orientation is, is, I've just got to live richly. Verse 11, but you, man of God, what is the word? Flirt with? No, flee. Flee from all of this and pursue. That word pursue is important, isn't it? He says, I want you to change your direction. I want you to change your pursuit. I want you to become less aware of something that the world offers and more aware of something that God offers, that you would pursue righteousness, pursue faithfulness, pursue love. In other words, what if you took some of that time that you spend scrolling Amazon deals and pursue something better? What if instead of sort of drifting through the car lot, you did something different with that time? What if you took that time and said, you know what? Instead of being so dissatisfied with how I live, where I live, my bank account, I would like to become more discontent with my lack of knowledge of scripture, with my lack of intimacy with God. What if you begin to pursue something different? Because in your pursuit of something different, you will become aware of things you haven't been aware of before. So skip ahead to verse 18. Here's the practical application. He says, here's what I would like you to begin pursuing with your discretionary time and dollars. 
He says, command them to do good, to be rich in deeds. Why don't you stay out of the mall and maybe go volunteer and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, instead of spending it, try giving it. Because you're thinking, man, for only $200 more a month, look at, look at the car I could drive. And maybe God's saying, I got an idea. Why don't you go find some people in need and give that $200? Redirect your pursuit, redirect your passion. Be generous and willing to share. One of the many downsides of, of buying new things is that we're less likely to share them. Have you noticed that? Maybe it's just me. I, I don't mind you borrowing my used and beat up stuff. But when I get something brand new, it's more like, oh, I don't know. He says, I want you to be willing to share. And in verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may, this is awesome, take hold of the life that is truly life. He says, look, if, if you just go with the flow of the culture, you're gonna take hold of something that you think is life, something you've been told is life, something they've sold you as life. It's not life. You've actually gained nothing because, because you leave it all behind. But he says, if you will change your pursuit, if you will change some habits, you may even come to the place where you realize that the the less I have, the more content I am. The more I give time to others, the more content I become with what I have and the less disturbed I am about what I don't have, that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Why don't I refocus my attention on what people need rather than what I don't have? And I'm telling you, this is a game changer. So now with that shift in mentality, um, we're really talking about a change in priority. Can we agree there are essentially five things that you can do with your money? Okay, you can spend it. We're pretty good at that. You can repay debt depending on you know, how you spent or misspent your money. Pay taxes. I hope you're all doing that. You can save your money or you can give your money. So those are basically the five things that we do with our money, and even for most of us Canadians, that's even the, the order of priority, isn't it? Number one, spend. Priority number two, pay for the things now that I can afford earlier. That's still spend. Priority number three, oh yeah, gotta pay my taxes. If there's any left over, maybe I can save. And if there's some left over after that, maybe I'll give, give to some people in my community or the church or to charities, whatever it might be. These are, generally speaking, our priority. Now, let me go through the list again. Do we have that list up there? Yeah. And, and put a different spin on it. Number one, me. Number two, me. Number three, we, I guess, Canada. Number four, me. Number five, God and others. Me, me, Canada, me, then God, and others. That's our priority. Now, the problem with this, from a Christian perspective, obviously, is this puts God and others last. So 
So God and others get the leftovers. If I haven't spent it all, if I don't owe it all, if the government doesn't get it all, and if I don't save it for myself for later, if there's any leftover, God and others can have my leftovers. Now, in spite of the fact that most of us prioritize our money in this way, that doesn't keep us, it doesn't even cause any hesitation on our part when we get in financial trouble from going to God and, and saying, God, would you help me? God, I, I, I need to pay fill in the blank. I've got to sell this house. God, I need a job. God, I need more money. I've got to get my kids through college. God, I need scholarship. Help me, help me, help me. And God says, help you do what? Help me take care of me. You know, when we begin to reorder and reprioritize our personal finances according to what scripture teaches, when we finally surrender, not a percentage, not an amount, but when we finally surrender everything and say, God, I want to do this in a way that honors you. Folks, I don't understand the math in this. But anecdotally speaking, the people who have made that radical philosophical change are, are saving more money, are spending less money, are more generous than they have ever been. I don't, I don't understand how this works. I was told there wouldn't be math this morning. I hesitate to even bring it up because it sounds suspiciously like a very heretical teaching called the prosperity gospel that is often used as a scam to enrich pre preachers and churches and TV ministries. And yet within their bad faith argument, there is this, this kernel of truth. All heresies have a kernel of truth. You know this, right? And this is not just because I have seen this again and again in people's lived experience, but more importantly, it's in scripture. I'll point you to just one account in the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter three. Just for context, Malachi is a prophet. He's speaking against the leadership of Israel. And he's saying to Israel, hey, you're bringing all your leftovers to God. Back then they had this sacrificial system where they're supposed to bring you know, the best of their animals and the best of their produce and give that to God first. And there's even this kind of funny part in Malachi where he says, like, you're bringing sheep to God that you wouldn't even eat you know, you're taking your most scrawny, messed up, you know, cross-eyed pus and sores and three legs and presenting those to God. And God isn't honored by that. And then here's the crux of his message. Here's what I want you to listen for. Listen to the issue of, of priority. These were people who were, who were giving, but their priorities were just upside down. Here's what he says in verse seven. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And then and God says through Malachi to the people, return to me and I will return to you. Okay, cause and effect. Return to me and I will return to you. Now this didn't mean that God wasn't present. It didn't mean God had turned a deaf ear, but in some kind of relational way, God says to the nation, I would love to move in your direction, but I'm waiting for you to move in mine. 
Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rub God? Yet you rob me, to which they say, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Now, real quick, if this is new, the tithe, the word literally means 10%. And the Jewish people at that time, they, they brought 10% of their income to sustain the temple, to pay for the ministry of the priests, the ministry of the people. Some of that money would go into the communities for poor people. So when God says, you've been robbing me of tithes, you've been giving, but in a resentful, last priority kind of way. You, verse nine, he's talking to Israel, not to us, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, not your lame, limpy, leftover animals, into the storehouse that they may be food in my house. Quit skimping. Quit spending it all. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. This is kind of tricky because this isn't test me in the way that Jesus says, you know, don't tempt the Lord your God. That's you know, that's where you come up with an idea and expect God will do your bidding. That's different. Malachi says, look, God has promised that he is going to honor you if you honor him. God has promised to move in your direction uh, if you will move in his. God has promised that if you prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll take care of you. So God says to the nation, test me. Try me, I, I dare you. I double dog, you know, double sheep, double camel, whatever they did back then, I, I dare you to make the, the move towards me and watch what I'll do. Because by prioritizing me financially, that tells me everything I need to know about your heart. And when I've got your heart, I am moving in your direction and I'm moving on your behalf. So God says, I want to be number one. And God knows you and he knows me and he knows this. When he's number one in the realm of your finances, he's number one in your life because your heart follows your money. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me, put me first, move in my direction, and then watch and see what I'll do. Now, that was a promise to the nation of Israel. That's not necessarily a promise to Canada. That's not even necessarily a direct promise to you and me in the context of this verse. But it reflects a principle that comes up again and again and again throughout scripture that in any area of our lives, when we put God first, especially when it costs us something, God blesses it. Some of you have experienced this in other facets of your life, like in raising your kids. It's like you've done everything wrong, you've exasperated them, you're exasperated, and, and there's all this tension. And you finally say, God, I throw up my hands, just show me how to do this and I'll do whatever you say. And he blesses that. And things start to change. You've seen this in your marriage maybe. You've seen this in other areas of your life. You've done it your way for so long 
It's been you, you, you. Top four. And then God, maybe five. Maybe he doesn't crack the top 10. And it's about throwing the door open to God and finally saying, would you please come in and do something in this area of my life? I just, I surrender it to you. That's a prayer God loves. And I'm not telling you some workaround, you know, about how to get rich. The good news is most of you were already rich. You slept indoors last night. You had breakfast this morning. You're not worried about what you're gonna eat after church. You were already rich compared to most people in the world. This isn't about getting rich. This is about reprioritizing. And the sense of peace that comes with knowing that God is the one in control, the one who has the final say. So our new priority is this order. Give, save, pay tax. Yes, Lord, is that? No. Uh, Repay debt and live on whatever's left. When you get paid, you invest in God's kingdom first and then you invest in your kingdom second. If you don't believe me, and if you think this is all about getting more money for the church, I, I challenge you, I dare you. I'm just gonna take away that excuse. Don't even give it here. Um, but I dare you to make this new priority. And you will come back and say, I don't understand this. I can't explain it. But something happened in my heart. Something happened in my family. Something happened in my finances. I sleep like a baby, first of all. So I I just want to challenge you today to begin thinking percentages, not dollars. Begin to give first a percentage, save second a percentage, and live on the rest. And, And throughout the scripture, the Bible talks in terms of percentages, not dollars. God's not impressed with dollars. In fact, there's this very cool story in Mark when Jesus is at the temple with his guys and they're kind of standing off to the side watching people give money and they can see you know, people making a big production of it as they, they come up to the temple and you know, drop their, their metal coins into a bucket. You know, maybe they even hold it up a bit higher so that the effect will be a little more dramatic. Oh, there's a... There's a copper coin and there's a silver coin and oh, oh, I think I heard a gold coin. And then this lady comes shuffling along. She's a widow. She has her head down. She's not making eye contact with anybody. And she comes and she drops her money in and you have to listen real hard because there's very little to contribute And as she walks by, Jesus says, guys, y'all see that? What, the hunchy lady with the walker? What about her? Mark 12, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And the guys with Jesus were like, I didn't even hear anything go in. You know, two dudes come after her and are like, clank, clank, you know, everybody applauds. And Jesus was like, I'm telling you, she gave more than all y'all. They gave out of their wealth, their extra. She gave out of her poverty. And here's the promise. Jesus said, look, if you would seek me first, 
over all that other stuff that you're worried about, I, I know you need that other stuff. I'm not glorified and honored if you go hungry. I'm not honored if you don't have clothes to wear. There's nothing honoring about poverty for poverty's sake. I know that you need those things, but I want you to live in a way where I'm not fifth on the list. Can, can you make me first in your life? So you have some challenges to, to think about as you go home and wrestle with. Maybe you have to get out a calculator, open your Quicken accounting, whatever, and see what would it look like to give first, save second, and live on the rest. And here's what might happen. You may not be able to live the lifestyle you're currently living. Ooh. That's okay, because the lifestyle you're currently living, for many of you, is killing you. It's so stressful. You've got stuff you don't even want anymore. But you begin working towards give first, save second, live on the rest, with the priority of God's kingdom first, my kingdom second. Something will begin to happen in your heart. And if you don't trust me, don't give it here. But I challenge you to take God up on this testing of his. See if the floodgates of blessing don't open up. Um, Not just financially, but in all areas. And check this out. Watch how you will have more peace. You'll have more margin. You'll have a better story. And ultimately, you will have a richer life because you can lie in bed at night knowing that your heavenly father is looking after you and taking after you or taking care of you. I can hardly allow myself to imagine what could happen if we all did this, what kind of impact it would have, what kind of people we could reach, what, what sort of freedom we'd experience. So that's, that's all I'm asking you. That's that you would wrestle with some of this. I know this isn't a quick decision. I know this isn't an easy decision. You might want to even just test God, dip your toe in the water, start 1%, and that will be a big um, commitment, a, 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 a big challenge. But what an incredible step of faith for some people. See what happens.